Amen, indeed. If you've got a good memory, remember the lyrics of the songs we just sang. Not just the last one, but all of them. God's mighty to save. It's his kindness. Humble yourselves. I think God was moving when songs were picked this week. Somebody remind me, what is our overarching goal, our overarching vision as a church? Being disciples, making disciples. Thank you. We'll say it every week, and uh, someday we'll have a whole bunch of people saying it back because you'll know it confidently. Okay, being disciples, making disciples. We do that three different ways, through communion with the Father, through inclusive community, and through uh, mission, through living sent. Uh, We have been sending people this year. Uh, Most often, the things they are already doing, just recognizing that God's moving, you're, you're aware of that, and you're going to be purposeful in that. So we've got a whole list of people, a whole bunch of pictures on the board in the back, uh, three weeks worth. We had that little prayer card that we sent home. Hopefully you've been praying for people individually uh, each day of the week. Today we're praying for Heather as she cares for the sick. Uh, we are glad to be able to do that, and it's fun to watch as God answers these prayers. We're going to send, uh, actually do two sendings this morning. Um, so I want to invite up Gary and Cindy Myro. Uh, we're going to send the two of them first. Gary, Gary's thinking to himself, wait, what? I'm getting, huh? Cindy, you didn't tell me about this. So Gary and Cindy have been with us now for a little over a year. Um, Heather was off having her baby when we came. Yes, yes, very true. And here we are uh, about a year later, um, sending the two of you as a couple. Now, I'm going to ask you the same two questions that we ask everybody that we send. Uh, what are we sending you to, and how can we be praying for you? So let's start with the first one. What are we sending you to? Hawaii. (laughs) There's going to be a special offering later for tickets to Hawaii. I like that idea. (laughs) This is Gary's lead, supposed to be, so I don't know. Um, We feel that God has a couple of callings for us, and one of them that he put on our heart was the small groups. You know, we came to uh, the church here and kept asking, where are the small groups? Where are the small groups? And they said, oh, well, we've got them. We've got them. And nobody ever had an answer. So they kept saying, well, yeah, we've got them, but they're full. So God really put it on our hearts this summer to begin to work on that. So one of the things that he's asked us to do is to be a host for a small group in our home. And we had our first meeting on Monday. Monday night, yeah. and there were 12 that were at our home for the small group. So I praise God for that, and we're excited about it. But what we're hoping to do is to raise up more groups. So there should be a place for everyone, mm. you know, within a small group. Mm. So that's my goal. Um, that's what we've been praying about. So Gary and I are working together on our small group, but I'm going to be working on developing additional groups and growing and expanding the groups that we have. So that's what God has put on my heart as far as the small groups. Very good. So that's what we're sending you to as a couple. Do you, do you want to add anything to that, Gary? Yeah, I guess I'm going then. <laughs> <laughs> well, we both have the same vision, I believe. And we believe that everybody here, even though they get a great amount of uh, blessing and, and learning in a big church community atmosphere, sometimes we're missing some of the things that most of us wish for, and that is a chance to share a little bit more uh, 
privately and quietly and in, in, in smaller gatherings. And as we gather these groups together and they get the folks get to know each other, we believe that will happen. And I think probably a lot of you have been part of that uh, sometime in your life. So that's that's what we're hoping for. Uh, God gave me a, an opportunity a couple of years to go to buy a house, even at my age. And I was surprised because it was a very big house and I didn't know why and <laughs> thought, you know, I, I just need a little tiny place. But then later on, he really gave me the uh, full understanding that that wasn't my house. It's our home, but it's a house and a home that we want to share and have people over and invite. So that's kind of how this is uh, starting out. That's anyway, uh, there was something I got from one of the lyrics of the song we just sang, sang and I wanted to, uh, it, it never occurred to me until um, I began to realize that each and every one of us has a very a special blessing and a gift, and maybe more than one gift, uh, each of us. And uh, oftentimes we don't realize what that gift is, and I think James and I and others have the passion to help you learn and find out what your gift is and what your strength is, and then be able to share that with others. But the, the, the fact that the lyrics of the song that said, we fall down and we lay our crown at the feet of Jesus, hmm. and it never occurred to me that how really personal that is. Do you know that each and every one of you has a crown, and you can lay that at the feet of Jesus? So think about that, and think about our small groups, and pray for us. We want this to be a, a church uh, uh, outreach. Hmm. So, Gary, you mentioned to pray for you. Uh, what's one or two specific ways we can be praying for you? And then I'm going to ask John to come on up and pray for them. For me, it would be in helping to organize the groups overall. Okay. Um, I've been asked by James to kind of oversee that, so I need a lot of prayer and a lot of help in in building my skills and my abilities to be able to do that. Okay, very good. I could say ditto to that, but definitely uh, that uh, we uh, we can't do this alone, certainly, and uh, we need God's uh, grace and God's love to surround us and then that we can reach out. And so we encourage each one of you to uh, help us with that. And, uh, you know, once in a while, a little reminder from you that we're doing okay or we're not doing so okay or whatever it is, we need to hear that from you. you know, we consider you our family. Very good. The uh, you're doing a great job box is down low where you can put it. The suggestion box is up there. Yes. If you can, uh, you can feel free to put a suggestion up there. Uh, John, we want to have you come on up. As we do with everybody that we send, we want to have you raise your hands out as if we're laying hands on them. And uh, John's going to pray for them. I'm going to anoint them with oil, and we'll send them to what they have been uh, called or sent to. He's got palm trees on his shirts, guys. So let's go ahead and put our hands out towards them. Dear Heavenly Father, I, uh, I thank you for the Myers. I thank you for uh, bringing them here. Thank you for calling them uh, to um, what you want them to do. Lord God, I thank you for... Uh, ears that listen, um, eyes that see need. And Lord God, I ask that you would be with them. Um, Lord, I pray that uh, that you would just uh, fulfill that promise to never leave, that you would be their encouragement. Lord, that you would give them the skills 
that they need uh, for organization, that you would bring them the encouragement that they need from us as a family. Mm-hmm. And Lord God, I pray that you would um, just begin to form uh, in people's hearts uh, through, these, uh, through these groups, that you would bring, uh, build relationships that, uh, that would grow, um, that would move um, even as people are called uh, out of this church to, uh, to different towns. Lord, that these relationships would continue from these groups. And Lord, ultimately, that you would be glorified. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Gary and Cindy, we want to anoint you with, uh, with oil and send you to this sending that you have been called to in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And amen. Gary, you can sit down. I'm going to keep Cindy up here. So our second sending also involves Cindy. Um, several months ago, um, Cindy came to me. Uh, for those that don't know, she is a trained professional counselor. Um, and uh, situations happen the way they happened. And she came and said to me, hey, would you ever consider uh, renting some office space to me to uh, reopen um, a private practice? So um, I won't say any more because I'm assuming that's what we're sending you to. So Cindy, as an individual, would you share what we're sending you to regarding this and how we can pray for you? Gary doesn't know this, but he's being sent to when it comes to this clinical practice because he's going to be my billing person and the person that does the paperwork. <laughs> so uh, praise God for a husband that does that. Amen. Um, several months ago, I lost the perfect job. And I mean, it was the perfect job. I was working for the Air Force Base. The pay was great. The benefits were great. Loved my job. And suddenly, poof, it went away. Um, the contract ended, and I thought, Lord, you know, what, what are you wanting? So for the first time in my life, I got to spend the summer off. Mm-hmm. I collected unemployment, and it was awesome. But the unemployment ran out, and I thought, okay, Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, what is it that you want? Um, I have these skills. I have the credentials. I have the licensing. I have the experience. You know, what do I do with it? And he didn't open any doors. Mm-hmm. Um, applied for several different things, and it just didn't happen. And I thought, okay, Lord, must be it's time for me to retire. So I applied for my Social Security, and I retired. The day after I retired, I put it on Facebook. Everybody was congratulating me and everything. The day after, the Lord said, you need to open an office in the church. Hmm. And you need to reach out to the congregation with the skills that you have. And be able to do a ministry through that. And so I wrote up a proposal, um, came to James, and James says, I love this. You did it all for me. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) interject. She she wrote up a proposal. When she came to me, she handed it to me. The work was done. Thank you. So I was, you know, I thought, Lord, you know, there's an office here. I know you have a, a reason for this. And so whether it's people within the congregation, whether it's, the community bringing people into the congregation. You know, that's another prayer that I have is that, Lord, you know, there are people out there that are going to have a need through this ministry, and I'm going to be able to bring people in. So pray for me. Pray for Gary. He's coming with rebellion. (laughs) Uh, Very good. Very good. Just so you all know, we ran it through all the proper channels, uh, talked to the board, they approved it. Uh, so we are taking steps to move forward with this. And uh, will it be called Serenity Counseling Services? Serenity Counseling Services. 
Uh, fantastic. So we can pray for you that, uh, I mean, all the, the business licenses, all those go through, uh, that God would bring to you the people that need the gifts and skills you have, uh, that all this would be smooth and it would bring glory to God. Yeah? Very good. I want to know you again because so much of that will drip in your eyes. But I will ask you guys to go ahead and raise your hands out again and we will pray for Cindy. Lord God, what a blessing it is to have people recognize their gifts, their skills, their talents, their trainings, and to say, I want to do those for you. So God, I thank you that Cindy is answering that call the day after retirement to continue on serving you in this way. God, I know that we have people within our walls and there are numerous people outside our walls that we know that could benefit from having a professional ear and some, some guidance to, uh, to, to talk to and to, to be counseled with. Uh, so I pray for Cindy. I, I pray for the office that she'll open up here. I pray that it will bring you glory. I pray that those that need it would hear about it and that uh, ultimately, Lord, people would be pushed and drawn closer to you. Uh, protect Gary and Cindy in this. Uh, protect us in this as a church. And uh, God, we look forward years down the road to looking back and saying, what a beautiful beginning. Thank you for allowing us to listen and to respond. So we pray for Cindy. Uh, We have anointed her already in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we send her to this work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I am so looking forward to what God has in store for both of those sendings. Now, if your answer is no, please don't verbalize it, okay? But if your answer is yes, feel free. Um, I told her I'd ask this question, but would you listen to Cindy? Okay, three of you. Great, we're on the right road to start, Cindy. Awesome. Well, I mean, would you really listen to Cindy? I joke around sometimes that if you have been at First Church less than 10 years, you're new, Okay, which means I'm new, Abby's new, Cindy and Gary are new, just a little bit over a year. And that means if we're new, we're new into your guys' lives. So the question is, would you listen to somebody who is new to you? Gary and Cindy, I would say, I mean, you guys may differ, are in, right? They, they've thrown themselves into the life of First Church. They've been purposeful. They've been intentional. They've gone to different activities and functions. They've, they've helped serve in, in numerous different roles. So again, would we listen to her? Would we listen to them? As a member of First Church, would we listen to her? As a trained professional with lots of letters after her name, who's opening a professional counseling office in our building, would we listen to her? You know, I think most of us, knowing the question now, would probably say, yeah. But the question is deeper than just with Cindy. The question really is, would we listen to somebody who we don't really know? Would we listen to someone who may be different than us? Come from a different space, a different life experience, have different values than us. For over eight and a half years, I've been going to the Monday morning's men's breakfast, which uh, several of you attend regularly. And uh, there are times, there have been times, where I've been driving along and you see somebody on the side of the road with a sign that says, hungry. I'm on the way to breakfast. Okay, so I've rolled down the window a few times. The men can attest to this. And I've said, hey, can I buy you breakfast? Never once has it been declined. 
Okay, so I get to take them to breakfast, and, and we sit there. Sometimes these men, uh, they're quieter. They just listen to the group that's around, and they just they, they allow us to pray for them and the other needs that we have. And there's times, though, where the men actually talk. I remember one time at Frontier West, when we were still meeting up there before it closed, where a gentleman came, and he spoke. And I, and I tell you this, he spoke a prophetic word from God. I am confident in that. And looking back, I have to ask, did we... As regular church guys, listen. Did I listen? Are we willing to listen and learn from someone who we don't really know or who may be different than us? Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Scripture this morning. Lord God, this is, uh, I mean, this is a time where we open up your word to us, your written word. It's a time where we can see from the pages of Scripture what you want to teach us. But God, our question this morning is, will we listen to what you want to say? I ask, Father, that this not be about anything that James says as he's standing up here, but it it be about everything that you say. So guard this time. Open our eyes and our ears to what you want to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to Joshua chapter 2. We're week 2 into an 11-week series on the books of Joshua and Judges, and we're titling this series, They Did What? Because we know that as we look at the people of God in this season of their life, there's going to be times where they just floor us. And that flooring may be in amazement, or we may be floored in be- bewilderment. You got to hear all of Joshua chapter 2 read by Elena during our call to worship. And I'm sure if you listened closely, there, there were times where you thought, huh, they did what? And why did they write it down? Because someday there was going to be kids in the service and they're going to have to talk about this in front of kids. Oh my goodness, they did what? You can look at this in Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 and begin asking that question already. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. I mean, I read that sentence and I have to think, why did Joshua send them out secretly? And who was it a secret from? The the people in Jericho and across the Jordan? Or was it a secret from the Israelites? And if it was a secret from the Israelites, why? Why? I mean, could the Israelite people who in chapter 1 had charged Joshua, be strong, be courageous, listen to the words that God wrote, could he have thought, well, if I send spies out, they may think I'm not really listening to them and send them out secretly? I don't know. You keep going in verse 1. So the two men sent or set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there for the night. They did what? Right? I mean, the house of a prostitute. Somebody who sells her body to people who are not married to her. Now, there has been some debate. There's been some attempts over Christian circles over the years, 1,500, 3,500 since this took place to kind of soften that. First century uh, historian Josephus writes that Rahab was actually running an inn. He's quick to admit, though, that inns often doubled at brothels in that time. You look in the New Testament, and the times where Rahab is mentioned, not once does it say, Rahab the innkeeper. 
really no way to soften this one. The spies went to the house of a hooker. Pardon me if you're offended by that language. More questions from that, though, okay? How did they know where she lived? Why did they go there first? And why in the world would they blab why they were there? You know how I know that? Or how I think that? Verse 2. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelite spies have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come to spy out the whole land. How many have seen the trilogy Lord of the Rings? Okay. So for those who raise their hand, this, this is going to really connect with you. In the first movie, we've got Frodo and Sam and the other two hobbits that land in Prancing Pony Inn. Okay, and Frodo's trying to keep it a secret as to why they were there. He didn't want, you know, the, 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 the task that they were on to be broadly known. But you get a couple of pints and a couple of those little hobbits, and wouldn't you know it, I think it was Pippin announced to everybody in the pub, oh yeah, that's Frodo Baggins. The secret was out. Is that what happened at Rahab's house? A couple of drinks? Some warm company, and all of a sudden, <laughs> hey, you know why we're here? We're here to spy out your land. You guys are going down. <laughs> I don't know if that's how it took place, but somehow somebody found out, and they went and told the city police. Okay? So those spies did what? Now, we we'll keep going. We're going to ask that same question, verses 4 through 7. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes. The men were here earlier, but I didn't know why they were here. She had her fingers crossed there, I think. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went, so if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she'd taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went out looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. The spies did what? Was her lying justified? Is it right to lie? Is it right for God's people to let somebody else lie for them? Wouldn't that have been against something that Moses wrote that he gave to Joshua that then the people and God told Joshua, live by this, breathe by this, meditate on this, go and do this. Would not have that Rung in the ears of those spies? Man, she's lying. I think Moses said something about that. Maybe we should call her out on it. They did what? Could ask that same question if you jump down to verse 15. Think about this, okay? Verse 15. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. The spies left through a rope in the window of the city wall. Did they not think somebody would have seen them? I mean, I, I doubt that that's the regular in and out route to the city, right? And there's a few guys that are dropping down some red cord. Huh. Well, let's go on with our business. You jump down to verse 18, and the spies tell Rahab, leave this cord, this red cord, bright red cord in the window, so that when we come back, we're going to know where you're at, and we won't kill you. Did she not think that, you know, the city police would see the red cord and, and come knocking and asking questions again? 
This is fun because, uh, on a side note, some scholars think that a red cord actually signified a red light district. Which, if that were the case, it would make sense as to how the spies found out where she lived. And it would answer the question why she could leave the red cord hanging out the window and not, you know, not bug the people there. So we could ask, they did what when seeing the fact that they left the cord in the window? Well, watching her lie or even believing what she told them to do after that. They had to have known she just lied to the police. So when she then tells them, hey, you guys go this way, go up the hills and wait for three days and then come back. Do you think they thought to themselves, huh, she just lied to the cops. Is she lying to us? Is she going to rat us out? But you know, the spies believed her. Verse 22 proves that. It says the spies went up into the hill country, stayed there for three days, just like she told them to do. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Now, we could talk about all these things that I've just mentioned and ask, they did what? Or we could look at Rahab through the eyes of the New Testament writers. There's some pretty amazing places she's mentioned in the New Testament. When Matthew is beginning his gospel, he's laying out this genealogy of Jesus, all of Jesus' ancestors. Okay? And if you read it close enough, you'll find the name of a prostitute. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. King David's great-great-great-grandma was a prostitute. It's in Matthew's gospel. Now, the fact that a Gentile prostitute from the city that God's people destroyed is in the New Testament is pretty amazing. And we could talk an entire day about the implications of that. But we're not going to. We could also look at when the author of Hebrews was listing off this uh, most faithful names in the story of God's people list. You know, you got names like Noah. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and numerous other heroes of the faith. And then you get Rahab. Chapter 11, verse 31. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. For she had given friendly welcome to the spies. I mean, that's quite a list of names to be named with. That's, that's quite a chapter in the Bible to have your name in. You go to the very next book of the Bible, James, which is Jesus' brother. And in chapter 2, verse 25, he mentions this shady lady from Jericho. Rahab the prostitute, he writes, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Three mentions of a Gentile prostitute in the New Testament. And we could talk about all those things. And I'll be honest, I spent much of Monday wrestling back and forth with, okay, is this the direction we should go? Okay, God, I think this is good. What do you think? Is this what you want us to hear in, in uh, Joshua chapter 2? And Tim can attest to this. He asked me after service last week, all right, so what direction are we going? And I, and I laid out this direction. And then I talked to him Monday, and I'm like, ah, you know, I, me and God have been wrestling. We're going here or there, or I just, I just don't know for sure. But God made it very clear by Tuesday morning. James, are you and are the people of First Church humble enough to learn from Rahab? 
Will you listen to her or would you listen to someone like Rahab? Are you humble enough to listen to someone outside your inner circle? Maybe outside the walls of your church. Are you humble enough to listen to someone outside your own faith? Because James, I, as God, can speak through anyone. And I can speak amazing truths, even through a Gentile call girl. Are you humble enough to listen? Because the Israelite spies did. Amazing truths from an unexpected person. Here's what I mean. Rahab spoke beautifully, pointedly, maybe unknowingly, about God's might, his majesty, and his mercy. Look at verse 8 in chapter 2. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard. We have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed, or whose people you completely consecrated. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. What Rahab is doing is she's proclaiming God's might. We have heard how the Lord... Were the citizens in Jericho, in Egypt, during the plagues? No. Were they there when Moses reached out his staff, touched the Red Sea, and it parted, and the people walked by on dry land? No. Were the Jerichoans there as the Israelites and the Amorites fought this battle? Were they there in the fiercest part of it? Did they witness the kings of Sihon and Og decide not to let the Israelites pass through, but instead we're going to come out and fight them, and then God completely destroyed them? Did they witness that firsthand? No. But they heard of God's might. They heard, and the text says their hearts melted in fear. It's as if Rahab, the prostitute, said, We cannot stand against the God as mighty as this. We cannot compete with His people. This God calls for complete consecration of things and peoples for Himself, and He makes it happen. This God reached down and touched nature in a way that we have never seen before. He reached down and touched nature in a way that we have never seen before. We cannot compare to that. That's God's might. So first church, I have to ask you this. Do our hearts melt in fear when we hear what God's doing? Do our hearts melt in fear when we talk about Jesus and being disciples of Jesus and ordering our entire lives around Jesus? Should they melt in fear? Let me tell you what, the disciples who hung out with Jesus had a very similar response to the people in Jericho that day. You know the story, okay? When Jesus calmed the storm, 
Jesus and his crew, was, they were crossing the lake. Jesus is sleeping in the front. A great storm arises and threatens to sink the ship. Just listen to the story in Mark's gospel. It says, Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Then he asked his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And get this, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Terrified. Their hearts were melting in fear. And they were in the presence of Jesus, whose might was great enough to reach out and touch nature in a way that they had never seen before. God's might, spoken of by the apostles and spoken of by Rahab, a prostitute. Will we listen to her? Rahab also spoke of God's majesty. Verse 11. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is supreme, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Singer Sandy Patty writes a song that most of us know. It starts with, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Songwriter Chris Tomlin talks about Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky. The heavens are your tabernacle, glory to the Lord on high. Go back 3,500 years and there's another songwriter who wrote the Psalms in Psalm 146 verse 6 that says, He made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. There's some majesty in that. Listen to the words of a prostitute. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I got to ask this. Did the spies hear, and I mean really hear, what she was saying that day? I ask that because they've heard this before. You go back a few years. And you get this great leader named Moses, who's giving this fantastic motivational speech to the Israelites. Listen to it in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses says, Now search all of history from the time God created people on the earth until now, and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. I mean, I picture the the Israelite people listening just on the edge of their seat like, come on, bring it, Moses, give me some more. So he says, he showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. 
He let you hear his voice from heaven so that he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so that he could speak to you from it. Because he loved your ancestors. He chose to bless their descendants and personally brought you out of Egypt with a great display of power. He drove out nations far greater than you so he could bring you in and give you their land as your special possession as it is today. So remember, Moses says. So remember and keep it firmly in mind. The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth and there is no other. God, speaking to His people through the voice of Moses, says, The Lord is God both in heaven and on earth and there is no other. Notice how that's almost verbatim what Rahab said. Would the spies listen to the voice of God as it was heard through the vocal cords of a dishonorable Gentile woman, just like they listened to the voice of God as it was heard through Moses? God's majesty proclaimed marvelously. So Rahab spoke of God's might. She spoke of God's majesty, and she finishes speaking of God's mercy. Verse 12 and 13 in Joshua chapter 2. Now, swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. She says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me. On the surface, this could look like a scared and vulnerable woman begging not to be killed. But if you look at the words she used, you will see that she is proclaiming God's mercy. She says, swear to me that you will be kind. I love that we sang that song, it's your kindness, Lord. Kind, the Hebrew word looks like this. Okay, And it's pronounced chesed. Chesed. Say that with me. Chesed. Again, chesed. Okay, now wipe off the person's head in front of you. Okay, apologize for that. Chesed. Okay, in most places this word is translated loving kindness. It could also be translated goodness, devotion, loyalty. Many scholars choose to translate this word as mercy. Now, chesed was one of the words that God used to describe himself when he was revealing who he was to Moses. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and following, just listen. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger, and I'm filled with unfailing love, with chesed. I'm filled with chesed and faithfulness. I lavish chesed to a thousand generations. This is how God is describing himself. Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 is saying, Treat me with chesed. Treat me like God describes himself. Now in the Psalms, 
King David wrote this in Psalm 103 and 145. It's taken out of that verse in Exodus. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love or loving kindness. He's filled with chesed. In Psalm 62, David says, God has spoken plainly, and I've heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Chesed, O Lord, is yours. Unfailing love is yours. Chesed describes God. So in her plea for kindness, Rahab is declaring an unchanging trait about God. Now what's important to note here is that every time in Scripture, except for once, according to one scholar, when the word chesed is used, it's either used as God describing himself or God saying how he feels about his people. We see this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, with chesed, I have drawn you to myself. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, this is kind of a stretch, claiming that Rahab is talking about mercy when every verse Pastor James has read thus far has talked about God's loving kindness or his unfailing love. Mercy's a little bit of a stretch. So why would he use that word? Well, there's a bunch of scholars that are a bunch that are, you know, a lot smarter than me that choose to use that word. But I also choose it specifically for you guys. Okay? Because I know that there's a psalm in here that a lot of you have memorized. Psalm 23. You memorized it? Yes? Some of you? A lot of you have it memorized in the King James Version. Yes? Yes. Okay, somebody tell me, verse 6, it begins, surely goodness and what? And chesed. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's why I'm choosing mercy. Okay, Rahab beseeches the spies, swear to me by your God who describes himself as chesed that you will treat me with chesed like God has chosen to treat you. You've got no logical reason to treat me with like this. Okay, God has demolished kings and countries and here I am a hooker asking for chesed. Treat me with kindness. Might, majesty, mercy from the voice of God through the tongue of a prostitute. Did the spies listen to her? Yeah. You can see this in the very last verses of chapter 2. It says, Then the two spies came down from the hill country, just like she had told them, crossed the Jordan River and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Terrified, okay? End of verse 24. That seems to me like they listened to Rahab about her awareness of God's might. Okay, now the fact that in verse 23 it says they reported all that had happened, that leads me to believe they recounted all of what happened. Not just, hey, we stayed at the shady lady's house and she hid us under some flax that was drying. Not just, you know, we listened to her lie, but we didn't call her out on it. And then she let us out the window through a red cord. And we told her to leave it there. And then she told us to go hide in the, in the hills. And we listened to her. I think that those spies went back and they said, Joshua, you, she quoted Moses. 
Moses told us to remember that he, that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. And she told us that God is the Lord of heaven and earth. God's might, God's majesty. And did they listen to her for her plea for chesed? Yes. Verse 14. The spies said, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If, if uh, you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and chesed. And be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Now, they could have had their fingers crossed and said, psych, I'm just kidding. But we know through Joshua 6 that that was not the case. Jericho had fell. Joshua told, uh, says in verse 22, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, Keep your promise. Go to the prostitute's house. Bring her out along with all her family. So the men who had been with her went, or been, the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. In verse 25, so Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Sounds a little bit like the end of Psalm 23. And she dwelt in the house of the Lord forever. She dwelt with the people of the Lord forever. As Israelites, when you're the people of God, who do you listen to? God, right? God himself. If he's speaking to you from a mountaintop, you listen to him. And if he's speaking to you through the voice of a prostitute, you listen. So my question to us this morning is, are we humble enough to listen? And are we listening close enough? I was discussing 1 Peter with a friend this past week, and chapter 5, verse 6 jumped out at me. It says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. We sang a song right before this message that I think is rooted in this verse. And I'm going to ask that we sing it again. And I'm going to ask that our focus be on the humbling part. Yes, the verse says God will lift us up. That's an added bonus. This morning, I think we've got to ask, are we humble enough to listen no matter who God chooses to speak through? Let's pray. God, it would probably take me more than two hands to count all the times where you have tried to speak to me and I have not listened only to later come back and realize, oh, man, that was God talking. So this morning, I want to ask God that I would listen. No matter who you choose to speak through, I ask that I would listen and I ask, Lord, for this body. I stand in between them and you and I ask that you would help us listen to you no matter who you choose to speak through, no matter how you choose to speak. God, help us to be humble enough to do that. Jesus talked about being humble. Blessed are the meek, the humble, for they will inherit the earth. God, we need that humbleness to know when it's you and to listen. We ask this through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.